0: You know, there there probably is one word that you hear more this time of year than, than any other. And it's not the word that you would think. You would think maybe it would be the word Christmas or Merry Christmas or some form of it, esoteric, Noel, Feliz Navidad. Maybe Jesus Christ. And possibly that's the one, but if you eliminate the curse version of it, it, it doesn't rank. Uh, The word is gift or shopping, right? Uh, I mean, multiple times in every conversation. Have you got your shopping done? Are your gifts all purchased? Are you ready? We have our our to-do lists, our gift lists, our gift received lists. Everything is high tech now, so mine gets texted to me. Here's the list, and you take it with you wherever you want. It's in your pocket. Uh, It wasn't that long ago that they were handwritten affairs, and I can remember, and I I didn't realize my mom and dad would be here, so remember with me. Do you remember the year? It ran about 23 pages long, single-spaced, rolled up with a scroll, ribbon around it. Here it is. whoomp. And it had the precursor to the Internet. Now, believe it or not, before that existed, we still had ways of making it crystal clear what it was we wanted. And it was through references to the Sears Christmas Wish Book. You remember that sacred tome arrived around October every year and you went carefully through it and you flagged your... Well, I page referenced it. (laughs) Page 337, box 2, center left column. There it was. It's like the World Wide Web. It was fantastic. I'd like you, if you would, to, to turn with me to a favorite Christmas text. Of mine, you heard it once. But we're going to read it together. Two Corinthians, chapter nine, verse fifteen. Now, because this verse isn't found among the traditional Christmas texts in Luke and in Matthew, we don't always associate it with this time of year. But boy, I think it really describes, in terms that almost beggar description, the gift that God has given to us. So let's read it together. Two Corinthians nine fifteen. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And there you have words that were written by arguably one of the most brilliant scholars in the history of the world, trained under the most famous of teachers in the first century, a rabbi named Gamaliel. He was well-respected in his day, the writer of that verse, a keen thinker. He had an enormous vocabulary, a master of communication. He was a formidable writer In fact, his writings under the inspiration of God comprise well over half of the New Testament. And after Jesus himself, he probably is the greatest theological mind that the world has ever known. And yet, when the Apostle Paul comes to that moment when he tries to describe the gift that God gives us at Christmas, he runs out of words. That massive vocabulary of his, that extensive knowledge. He reaches the place where he has to try and find just the right adjective, and it doesn't exist, and so he invents a word. He coins a new word. We do it all the time, right? New words that we coin. Hashtag, that didn't exist as a word, or at least the word that we think it 10 years ago. How about man bun? That didn't exist. It thankfully exists now, right? Man bun. How about uh, how about the word youthquake? That is 2017's word of the year, according to Oxford. A, a movement that sweeps across culture and society. A movement that has been formed and shaped by youth. Right? We have a youthquake going on in our house all the time. Youthquake. And truthiness, you know that one? Stephen Colbert's word. We're not so much concerned about truth anymore, just truthiness. YOLO was last year's coined word of the year. Remember that? It's actually an acronym. You only live once. Well, in the same way, Paul comes to this staggering stop in writing to the church in Corinth. And he needs a word and there isn't a word. And so he invents the word. The word is the one translated as indescribable as if to say, there aren't words for this. It, it, it beggars description. It's unable to be declared. Why is it indescribable? I mean, if this were just the birth of a baby, that's always an amazing thing, but, but it does happen several, several hundred million times, right? So it's not uncommon. If it just had been an ordinary conception, if this had been an ordinary infant if there was nothing about him that was beyond description, no need for that kind of word. And yet there's something about what happened centuries ago that, that has this profoundly educated, articulate man grasping for words. So let's look at it. Turn for a moment back to the Gospel of Luke in your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, verse 6, and here we have Luke the physician, Dr. Luke giving what feels very much like a physician's report, almost matter-of-fact. He writes that it came about that time while they were there in Bethlehem that the days were completed for Mary to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths. She laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the inn. Now here they were, cave probably, animals possibly, straw around them, but in that moment, for the first time, you have an encounter that, that has been desired for so long but has, has never materialized. For the first time, you have a human being looking into the eyes of God. And that moment is, is beyond the ability of the greatest theological minds in the world to describe or articulate. Indescribable. Standing somewhere nearby is is a bewildered man. We're always bewildered in the face of childbirth. But yeah, and everywhere, right, Lannis? But now maybe Joseph hadn't put it all together yet, but, but he believed enough. He, he believed when the angel said, this thing that's about to happen with the woman that you're engaged to, the woman that you've now married, this thing is a God thing. You can believe. You can believe that God is in this, and so we did. A simple man, a practical man. We talked about Joseph last week. He stood there in amazement. She gave birth. He took the child. Together they washed him and they wrapped him in cloths, right? They swaddled him. It's, it's like a baby taco, right? You wrap them up tight because that makes them feel safe and secure. Wrapped him in cloths. Well, for some reason this time of year, that that description has fascinated me in ways that it hasn't before. Maybe it's because of the number of hours spent wrapping, but, but I was thinking about the wrapping of, of Jesus himself. Not just the wrapping of, of a physical gift, but the, all the extravagant lengths to which God went to wrap the birth of his child. Sometimes the wrapping says something about the importance of a gift. Have any of you ever been on the giving or the receiving end of one of those kind of babushka doll gifts where you open up one box and inside is another box and inside is another and another and it starts huge and by the time you get to the end it's exhausted and it had better be a ring or something. better have been worth it. There are some gifts that try your best, you just can't wrap them, like a bicycle or a basset hound. I mean, what do you do? But when it comes to Jesus and how you wrap the birth of Christ, the Messiah, I want you to flip with me to the back page of your order of service. And there you have some suggestions about the extravagant lengths to which God went to make sure that this indescribable gift was intricately and strangely wrapped. He came wrapped in prophecy. I mean, God doesn't just suddenly drop him from the heavens uh, unprepared Unexpected, unannounced. No, God had been working through the story of salvation, through sacred history for centuries, building towards this one moment. Turn with me to Isaiah, Prince of all the prophets. Isaiah chapter seven, verse fourteen. Familiar words. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name. God with us. That's not what it says on the screen. That's not what it says on the wall. Uh, we hear the name of a beautiful Hispanic child. When you heard that spoken, that's what you heard. You will call his name God with us, which is literally what that name means. You will call his name God with us. You wrap something indescribable in something as powerful as prophecy. And you have people anticipating what God is going to do. Let's read ahead. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. A child will be born. Israel, listen up. Zion, get ready. Heaven is going to give us a son. And what will be his name? Well, remember, the government is going to rest on his very shoulders. So his name shall be Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Father of Eternity, Shalom Prince, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, or of his peace, and of the throne of David, over that kingdom established, he will uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. I mean, to whom is that going to refer, if not to God's own Messiah? The Jews held on to those words. They they savored them. They, they savored them through the darkest days of their history. A history that's just, it's fraught with oppression and, and suffering. And down through the years, they held on to them. Don't forget chapter 11, also in Isaiah. One of my favorites. It says in Isaiah 11, a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse. Just a branch. A branch from its roots that will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He'll be distinct. He'll be unique. Upon him will be a spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the Lord. He will not judge only by what his eyes see or make decisions only by what his ears hear. With righteousness, he will judge the poor and he'll decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. The poetry there is, it's really striking. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. And then it all gets intensified. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness will be about his waist. Think about the power of what's being spoken there in prophecy. Here we have a gift that's going to be delivered through the womb of a a peasant Mary. But ahead of time, there was a prophet who said long before, righteousness will mark his life, godliness, the fear of God, and he will judge with fairness, rich and poor alike, and he'll be like none other. One of the things that prophecy does is, is it reminds us that what happens in God's timing isn't happening without design, without forethought, without planning and attention. This is not a sudden change in God's mind. This is a shoot, a stem, a branch connected to what came before, connected to everything that God had done. Now, flip ahead towards the end of Isaiah, chapter 53. And he's asking, who's going to believe all this? He's living among a people of unclean lips, he says. He knows his times. And so he writes, who has believed this message And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who is it that's waiting on tiptoes for the coming of the Messiah? Describe him for us, Isaiah. What will he be like? And this is what Isaiah writes. He will grow up before them like a tender shoot, like a root springing out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. No appearance that we should be attracted to him. None of that is what made Jesus Christ significant. He looked like every other Jew of the day. Hollywood is fond of casting him as the most strikingly beautiful male actor they could find. But as far as we know, he looked like an ordinary boy as a child. A carpenter's son. Nothing particularly distinctive or majestic about him. Not a a shining aura that bathed the world in light when he walked past. It was God who came in the form of a man. Not a man who came in the form of God. And there's a difference. He drove a nail just like anyone else drove a nail. He, He worked with wood the way his father worked with wood. There weren't From his hands, miracles spilling out every moment of every day. From the outward appearance, he looked like any other. Why? Read on in Isaiah. For he would be despised, forsaken, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And here it is. We did not esteem him. How do you wrap an indescribable gift? You wrap him in that kind of honest prophecy. You prepare the heart of people for that gift by, by working in the heart of a nation for centuries. Prepare him with, with words like these ones from Micah in chapter 5, verse 2. As for you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, too little too small and insignificant to be counted among the great clans of Judah. From you, Bethlehem, time to get ready for from your territory, from your streets, little Bethlehem. One is coming forward to be ruler of all Israel. And his goings, his going forth will be from long ago, from eternity. Can you imagine a rabbi flipping through that text? Isaiah 5, verse 2, stroking his beard thinking, Bethlehem? Never saw that one coming. Bethlehem. But there's where a problem begins to present itself. Because we know from other parts of the story that when when God was speaking to a peasant Nazarene girl and to a bewildered Nazarene carpenter, saying, God's great story of deliverance is going to begin now and it begins with you. Emmanuel, in your womb, Mary. They were living in the wrong place. They were Nazarenes. You turn from here, just quickly to the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4. Because this this gift, this indescribable gift, is going to come wrapped not just in prophecy, but also in history. Prophecy being what it is, has to have its way woven into history. And God's a master at this. He's sovereign over the times. He knows what's about. And so he begins to weave history in a way that it dovetails with what the prophets have been saying centuries before. Galatians 4, verse 4. Do you have it in front of you? Yes, you do. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might buy back those who were under the law. Think with me about those words. The fullness of time. What does that mean? The fullness of time. Does it mean exactly on schedule? I mean, precisely at the right time? As if... There were no other time that would be as appropriate as this one. There was no better time for it to occur. This was the fullness of time when everything seems to mesh together perfectly. In that moment of sacred history, a young woman became pregnant. And so you wrap the gift in history. Think about the times in which Jesus was born. I mean, this really was one of those turning points in history, in the progress of the world. Imagine that you had a message that was of global importance and you needed to get it out to the world. What would you need for that to happen? Well, you'd need language, wouldn't you, to communicate it? You'd need a language that people could use to convey it across borders and nations. And the world hadn't had one since Babel. The world was filled with, with all of these multiple languages. There was no one linguistic rifle From which you could fire a message hoping that it would be understood wherever the bullet landed. It was a hodgepodge of language and culture. And then along comes a man, not a Christian man, not by any stretch, but proof that God can use anyone for any purpose. Along comes a man named Alexander. He thinks a lot about himself, so he calls himself Alexander the Great, right? And among the many things that Alexander does is he formulates a language And he sees that that language is adopted widely throughout the known world, throughout the empire. The language was called Koine Greek, Common Greek. And for the first time, you have a language that's precise enough. It's clear enough when it's written. It's common enough that it could take a message to the far reaches of the world. So now you've got a language. What else do you need? Well, you need to be able to get the message out there. You need roads. You need ports. Rome really wreaked a lot of devastation in the world. But one of the things that she was good at was building roads. And she built tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of miles of them, paved roads for the first time in history. You could access any port, any city in the empire. It made the world contract in size, suddenly places that were inaccessible were vastly accessible. It's the way that God works, even with highways. Paved roads that connect east and west. It's all part of the fullness of time. Think about the politics of the day for a second. The months around Jesus' birth saw one of the largest mass migrations of people in ancient Israel. Why? Taxation. When governments need money, it's amazing how much upheaval is caused. And there was huge upheaval when Caesar suddenly hatches a plan to take a new census for the purpose of understanding and increasing tax revenue. This wouldn't be like other census. This one would require every male Jewish, uh, Jewish citizen of the nation to return to their ancestral homeland. And so amidst this this teeming sea of humanity moving around on all those Roman roads. You have a young couple, recently married, very pregnant, making their way down from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Little Bethlehem. Who would have thunk it? (laughs) How do you wrap an indescribable gift in prophecy and in history? Sometimes I think we get this idea that the whole deal with Jesus is coming and and his ministry and his tragic death and triumphant resurrection. That this was somehow a remedial action by God, uh, a last-ditch effort, a band-aid stuck on a wounded world. That God had tried everything else and nothing had worked, and so He decided to try this. It's not what the Bible says. It says this was in the fullness of time when all the pieces of prophecy and history fell together. The preparation was astounding. You wrap an indescribable gift in history and you bring Him at just the right time. Then one last thing. Don't leave out the mystery. Boy, that's hard for us, and that's why it's so important. We we have very little room left in our culture for mystery, do we? Uh, if it can't be understood and explained through, through science and rationality, it's largely dismissed. There's very little opportunity just to stand in awe of things that we do not understand and to worship in mystery. You have a prophetic word from Isaiah, from Micah, from Zephaniah, from Zechariah, from Malachi, from John the Baptist, a whole bunch of others all saying the same thing. The Messiah is coming. Get ready. The gift is about to be delivered. History is about to unfold. While that word is coming down, the Roman Empire is in power and they, they're pressing down on little Israel like a boot on soft soil. And Israel wonders. She starts screaming out loud that, that the Messiah would come clad in, in shining bright armor, wearing a or riding on a white stallion and leading them to military conquest. That's not how it's going to happen. This one comes in mystery. What's the mystery about? I can think of a few things right away. So can you. Think about that whole deal about God becoming visible in human form. Boy, we're so used to those words. But it had never been that way before. It will never be that way again. How is it that the ineffable presence of deity comes to this earth, not to be contaminated by it, but to be, to be fully clothed in it, to be, to be fully human? That's the mystery of it all, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, co-existent, co-eternal, co-equal. They come to this one indescribable decision: the Word will become flesh and dwell among us. Or to put on a theologian's hat for just a minute. This is a statement that stops theologians and scholars in their tracks. Undiminished deity takes upon itself perfect humanity and links the two together in one personality, housed in one body. God and man delivered. No less deity, no less humanity. Together in one person. One personality, one body, that is a mystery. Thankfully, we don't just have to rely on theologians for the description. I think the best description of that actually comes from Charles Wesley. And you've sung it already this season. You've probably sung it almost every season that you've celebrated Christmas. Christ by highest heavens adored. Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time, in the fullness of time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. And here it is veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Strangely wrapped. History, prophecy, mystery. I mean, something this stupendous, this momentous, had to have been accompanied by, by the most incredible heavenly marketing campaign you can imagine. Must it? I mean, there had to be some kind of earth-shattering, sky-writing event, some incredible ancient camera work to do this. Can you imagine what we would do with it if it were given to us? Can't you imagine the social media campaign that would accompany such an event? The electronic billboards flashing with the news all up and down the Gardner Expressway. The little banners scrolling across the bottom of our TV while we watch NFL football or The Bachelor or whatever we watch. But, But there's the news. Well, I've got news for us. We wouldn't have even noticed We wouldn't have known. And because we wouldn't have known, we wouldn't have cared. Just another baby born in the Middle East. That's the way it would be today. That's the way it was then. This baby was quietly delivered. Nursery was a cave. Cradle was a feeding trough. First cries of God with us were heard only by an exhausted teenage mom and a A bewildered dad. And when the marketing campaign begins, it begins with a bunch of Bedouin type who smell of too much livestock and bad wine. And so the message is delivered out in the middle of the wilderness. Try and picture it. Luke 2, verse 9. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. That's not right, though. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and they were terrified, as they should be. That's no small thing. And so the angel said to them, don't be so terrified. (laughs) In the middle of the night, expecting nothing, all of a sudden an angel appears and says, don't be afraid, I've got news, good news, great news. What in the world is he going to say? Well, watch what they say. It says, it's good news, great joy for all the people today in the city of David. What? Bethlehem. Who would have thunk it? Bethlehem. Today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who's Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. This is how God put the gift together. Here's how it's wrapped. It's not a grown man. It's an infant child. It's not a knight clad in regal armor. He's a little baby. He's tucked away in a feeding trough, in a manger, just over the hill, just a baby. He's lying there, wrapped in cloth, and mystery, and history, and prophecy. And then suddenly the angels interrupted by what? A heavenly host, which is, interesting trivia bit, not a choir. It's an army. An angel army interrupt out there in the middle of the wilderness. and clear your throats now, because we're going to say it the way an angel army would say us. For some of it it's hard, for some of us it's hard to do, but we're going to do it nice and loud. Luke 2, verse 14, let's bring it up on the screen. Let's say it together. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. That's what they heard, with all of its brilliance with all of its terror, with all of its excitement. Maybe they'd never heard it before. But those words have been heard countless times ever since, sung by choirs and soloists and and read by readers and prophets and preachers. And let's look at what they did next. As it came about that when the angels went away into heaven, the shepherds began to say to each other, let's go back to, to little Bethlehem. And let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known. There was no doubt. There was no disbelief. No mockery. There was no one who said, "Listen, I, I don't believe my eyes. I don't, I don't trust my ears." Too much of that bad wine. They went, and they went in haste. The Bible says, they found their way to Mary and Joseph, and it was just the way they were told. A child strangely wrapped, quietly delivered. And what is it they did next? They didn't go searching for their own words. It's indescribable. All they were able to do was quote what they'd already been told and describe what they'd seen. See there in verse 17? And they made known the statement which they'd been told about this child. Isn't that why The best that we can ever do at Christmas is just to repeat the news of what God has done time after time after time. It doesn't require us to invent a whole new story or to dress this one up so it plays to a modern audience. The only way people will know that it's really good news is is to be faithful to the gift and to the wrapping. Prophecy, mystery, history. History. Do you believe that there are still people today who are waiting for that gift to come looking for something else another messiah still anticipating some other answer some other provision the right medication a financial windfall the relationship that will make everything right salvation's here it's already here There's nothing really original about this morning's message at all. It wasn't supposed to be. Really, we just gather together like that group of Bedouins and and say the gift has arrived. Glory to God in the highest. Receive what's been given. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, these next few hours, the next couple of days. Be filled for many of us with lots of activity, hustle and bustle, planning and preparation, celebration and gathering. For some it's going to be exhausting, for some it's going to be hard. This is not easy this time of year. For each of us, I pray that there are a few quiet, sacred moments. Where we can unwrap the gift at the heart of this season. Where we can receive Jesus in our lives, an indescribable gift. God, we pray for the courage and the awareness to be able to receive it and name it and repeat it. Unto us is born a child. That's enough. That's good enough. It's full enough. It's abundant and rich and deep enough to sustain us in any crisis. It makes any joy that we share diminish in comparison. We take it with us from here. Tomorrow morning when our eyes wake, when our eyes open and we wake and draw first breath, Could it be with these words on our lips? Thanks be to you for this indescribable gift. In Christ's name.